That's one of the things I love about Wednesdays is it's a great time to train and, and learn things and try things. And so I think our, our uh, main operator back there tonight is what, 13? <laughs> yeah, 14? Doing a great job, so. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and he's humble, too. All right. So, hey, we are in uh, Isaiah 17. Um, we're in this, the middle of uh, just a series of um, burdens or oracles. Uh, depending on your translation, it'll call it one or the other. An oracle is like a wise saying, but the, the word in the Hebrew, it really means a burden or a weight. Like it was a heavy message that Isaiah had for many of the neighboring countries around uh, Israel. And to, so, uh, you know, we went over some stuff to Babylon and, uh, you know, a couple other nations. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, a city in particular and uh, going to be getting into some neat stuff. Next week, we get into um, uh, one of the passages that some people point to to, to say that, you know, because people ask all the time, is America in the Bible, right? Um, and chapter 18 is, is one of those sections that some people say could be, uh, you know, referencing us. I'm not sure whether I'm, I'm into that or not, so we'll dig into that, but... Uh, Tonight's a little bit different. Before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray. We'll ask God to help us understand it, and then we'll just dig right in. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together tonight, that we got together uh, safely, that we have, you blessed us to live in a time where we can broadcast uh, your word across the world uh, instantaneously. It's such an amazing time. Lord, we, we just pray, you, we've, uh, we've listened to so much noise in the last few days. We pray that you just calm our hearts, our spirits, open our ears, help us to receive the truth of your word, uh, be refreshed, renewed, uh, and just know you better uh, through the message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Isaiah 17, verse 1. It's a good place to start. It says, the oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus is about to be removed from being a city and will become a fallen ruin. It's about to be removed from being a city, and I'm really loud, and will become a fallen ruin. Uh, Damascus is, is uh, it's, it's the capital of modern-day Syria, right? Uh, it's one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. They claim to be the oldest. Uh, there, another city not too far away claims to be the oldest as well, Jericho. But both of those, historians agree, are among the oldest cities uh, in the world that have been continuously inhabited. Uh, in 2 Kings 16, uh, the guy that we talked about quite a bit about a month ago, uh, the king of Assyria, uh, which, if you're looking for a Bible name for your, for your, uh, you know, your expectant baby, uh, this is a good one, uh, Tiglath-Pileser. <laughs> for some reason, it fell out of popularity over the years, but 
But Tiglath-Pileser was the king of Assyria, and he conquered Damascus, okay? And he carried away most of their inhabitants, um, which was kind of his custom, transplanted them somewhere else. But he didn't completely destroy the city because he was a smart ruler, right? He reused these things that they'd built. And, and um, as a matter of fact, uh, that's when King Ahaz went and visited Damascus, and he got his idea for, uh, you know, he saw a really cool altar there and, and came back to, uh, to his kingdom and said, I want to build one like they built there, you know, this pagan altar. You may remember that when we were in Kings on Sundays a while back. Anyway, so Damascus, it, had, it did get conquered, um, like Isaiah's talking about, but not quite the way he describes, right? He says, Damascus is about to be, what? Removed from being a city, right? And it'll become a fallen ruin. That's not what happened under Tiglath-Pileser. Uh, they didn't cease being a city because it's still a city today. It did get, uh, you know, it did go from a capital city to, you know, pretty beat up, kind of a wasteland, took a long time to kind of rebuild itself. But remember, one of the things that we keep bringing up in this study is Isaiah deals almost primarily in dual fulfillment prophecies. In other words, whenever he says something, it meant something to, the, to his audience at the time, right? There was a fulfillment in the short term, but there's also a long-term fulfillment, another way that it's going to come true. And so, uh, I believe Damascus will one day, like he says, literally be destroyed, uh, as Isaiah describes. In Ezekiel 38, I thought about going there tonight, but I didn't figure you guys wanted to set through a two-hour sermon. Uh, but Isaiah 38 describes this period of time, it's, it's a very famous battle that we're going to talk about later in another message. But he, he talks about this um, coalition of, of uh, nations, among whom are modern-day Russia, Iran, and Turkey. And something triggers them to invade Israel from the north, which would be through Syria, which would be through where Damascus is right now, but someday won't be. So I, I, I have a feeling Israel at some point is going to attack Damascus, and it's going to trigger this sequence of events. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that later, but anyway. We've made it all the way to verse 2. Let's go there. The cities of uh, Aero, Aero, I can never say this one, Aroer are forsaken. Uh, they will be for flocks to lie down in, and there will be no one uh, to frighten them, right? So like, you get rid of all of mankind, animals move in, right? They, they know when something's inhabited and when it's not. Verse 3, the fortified city will disappear from Ephraim. And that's a word we see a lot in, in the Old Testament. Ephraim is just another name for um, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, ten of the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, so whenever you see Ephraim, that's what it's talking about. It's basically talking about Israel. Uh, so the fortified city will disappear from Ephraim and sovereignty from Damascus and the remnant of Aram. They will be like the glory of the sons of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, 
in that day. That's one of those expressions, and we talked about this when we first started Isaiah. Anytime you see in that day, Isaiah is almost always referring to uh, what he calls the day of the Lord, right? The, um, the tribulation period, the day of judgment, you know, the, when bad things are, you know, a bunch of stuff is going to go haywire. Uh, that's what he's talking about. So he says, now in that day, the glory of Jacob or Israel will fade and the fatness of his flesh will become lean. In other words, he's going to go from being uh, prospering to, to not. So he's basically, Israel and Syria, remember we've, we've kind of um, been sidetracked the last few weeks. Um, this is a, a period of time when uh, the northern kingdom, they have an alliance with Syria, thinking it's going to protect them from Assyria which is a totally different country. Uh, and it doesn't, right? It, it actually it ticks Tiglath-Pileser off, and, and he takes them both down. And, you know, it, basically see, Israel and Syria have an alliance, and they're going to go down together, is what Isaiah is saying. It just reminds me that, you know, we, you need to be careful who you, who you hitch your wagon to something that is, is talked about in the Old Testament and the New. Be very careful uh, who you allow to have influence, who you make alliances with. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. He says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So very often we'll, we'll quote this to um, you know, our kids as they're you know, getting to dating age, right? Like you don't, you know, you're not to be bound together with unbelievers. A Christian shouldn't marry an, uh, someone who's not a Christian because um, that whole concept of glovey mud. You know what I'm talking about? If you put gloves on and you go out and work in the dirt, the gloves will get muddy, but the mud never gets glovey, right? Um, but here's the thing. I don't want you to get the wrong idea from this. Uh, the reason God says a Christian shouldn't marry someone who's not a Christian isn't because you shouldn't be around people who aren't believers. He wants the opposite of that, right? He wants you to be around people and share the good news and live your life in front of them and with them and, and you know, be a light and all of that. But this is warning against developing relationships with people who will pull you further away from God rather than drawing you closer to Him. There are certain relationships that tend to have more influence over us, right? Romantic ones are top of the list. Business relationships, you know, 
Uh, some of you, you've probably had to do business with someone before that you know you did not share the same values, and it made you feel kind of weird, right? There's a reason for that. Uh, partnerships, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, I could go on and on and on and on about that. We'll go back to Isaiah 17, verse 5. It's where we'll pick up. It says, It will be uh, even like the reaper gathering uh, the standing grain, as his arm harvests the ears, or it will be like one gleaning ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim, which just means giants. Like little uh, ears of grain in a valley of giants. Verse 6, Yet gleanings will be left in it like the shaking of an olive tree. Two or three olives on the topmost bough, four or five on the branches of a fruitful tree, declares the Lord, the God of Israel. So the idea is that what's coming, right, this invasion and, and all the stuff they're going to face from Assyria, uh, the north, it's going to be like the northern kingdom is being harvested or just, you know, cut down with a scythe. But there will be a small remnant left. Right? He says that even though that it's going to be like that, there's still a little bit left. Because God, God always leaves a remnant. There's going to be a, a remnant. Verse 7 says, In that day, man will have regard for his maker, and his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. So we've talked quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, or a few weeks, about uh, you know the Antichrist, and Jews are going to be in particular, are going to be uh, targeted by him in the, in the end times. Revelation 6 through 19 uh, basically describe that period of time. That we call it the time of Jacob's trouble or uh, the great tribulation, right? The end times. And we love to make movies about that time period, you know, because uh, the special effects are cool. And, um, but we kind of lose track of what that period is about. Uh, it's a time intended to wake Israel up, right? That remnant, that little bit of Israel that's left. Uh, Hosea says that during that period, two-thirds of all the Jews on the planet will die. Only a third of them will survive that, that period. A good way to remember is uh, the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. Maybe that's not a good way to do it. I don't know. That's hard to rattle off. But tribulation is for their salvation. That's the main goal, right? It's God giving that remnant one last chance to as he says in verse 7, regard his maker and his eyes look on the Holy One. For them to go, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ like you said you were. Verse 8, it says, he will not have regard for the altars, the work of his hands, nor will he look to that which his fingers have made, even the asherim and the incense stands. So in this, this 
time of trouble, this time of tribulation, when everyone is, uh, you know, at their wit's end, he says they're not going to care about the altars they've built, the idols that they've followed. They're just going to want to look at their maker. You know, the purpose of the Great Tribulation is very similar, I think, to the, the purpose of the daily tribulations that we face. It's, it's much smaller scope, right? But we, we go through troubles every day. And some tribulations come into our lives to get us to quit thinking about idols and images in our social media presence and, uh, you know, whether anybody commented on my video and, you know, whether the, that the boss is going to give me a promotion or not and all these things that distract us. Sometimes troubles come into our lives to get us to quit thinking about those things and turn our eyes back to Him. Sometimes, most of the time, our troubles come because we're dumb and we caused our own troubles, you know. But every now and then, I think God, uh, God allows something into your life to, to refocus your attention. Verse 9 says, uh, In that day... Their strong cities will be like forsaken places in the forest, or like branches which uh, they abandoned before the sons of Israel, and the land will be a desolation. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation, and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. So that's what happened to the whole nation of Israel. Israel exists as a nation today, uh, but it's almost entirely secularized. Uh, secularized, there we go. Uh, most people living in Israel don't read their Bible, don't read the Torah, don't, you know, they're Jew in, in name only, basically. But I, you know, we're all guilty of this, right? Have you ever, have you forgotten the God of your salvation? Now, I know you guys are weirdos because you're at church on a Wednesday night, right? Uh, but, <laughs> but we do it, right? We do it every time we worry. Every time we worry. Because Jesus over and over says, do not worry, right? You know that I know what's happening. You know that I, I'm in control. You know that I'm the provider. You know that I'm the, your protector. You know, cast your worries on me. Every time we worry, we're not trusting. Every time we give in to fear or anxiety, uh, every time we, we make life-altering decisions without actually consulting him, without praying, without reading, You know, reminders, um, reminders can be annoying, right? Like, my wife loves to remind me of things. And sometimes I'm like, I know it needs done. You don't have to remind me every three months. I'm, 
I'm going to get to it. That floor trim will be done eventually. And sometimes I'll even get mad when she reminds me of something uh, until that time that I actually forget when she didn't remind me. That's annoying. That's why I I love, uh, you know, I have alarms on my phone. I would forget the garbage every week were it not for the fact that I have an alarm that says, hey, it's garbage night, you know, and then I yell at Quincy and have him do it. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, we, we don't like reminders, but we need them because if anybody should not forget about the God of Israel, it would be Israel, right? They should not forget, but they did. Peter, uh, when, uh, toward the end of his life, you know, he, he had some deep, profound things to say. He'd, he'd planted churches and seen persecution. He'd walked with the Lord. He'd you know, was there at his trials and, and all, you know, the resurrection and all that. Uh, but toward the end of his life, he had this to say. In Second Peter 1, verse 12, he says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. He goes, I know it's annoying, but I'm going to do it anyway. Verse 14, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So in other words, I know I'm on my way out. Verse 15, "And, and I will... Also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. I remind you over and over and over so that it sticks. That's why we don't just preach a verse one time and then never reference it again. That's why we we quote certain verses over and over. That's why we, we say certain phrases over and over so that about the time that you're sick of hearing it, that means you probably are starting to get it. You know, that's why we're studying Isaiah, a book that was written primarily to an audience that died 3,000 years ago. Because it still matters, and we still need to be reminded of what he wrote down. Romans 15, Paul tells us this, Romans 15, verse 4, he says, For whatever was written in earlier times, like Isaiah, was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Sometimes I feel, you know, like I'll I'll get a call from someone who's going through something difficult, and especially when it's someone that, you know, we've been in church together for 15 years, right? We sat through the same... Uh, Sunday school classes, and I feel kind of weird, you know, I'm like, well, you already know all the verses I'm about to quote, but I quote them anyway, right, because sometimes you, you need to hear it, because it's not just about memorization, it's, do you remember what he saved you from, do you remember where you were 
versus where you are. Right? We can lose sight of that. We'll go back to Isaiah 17, verse 10. It says, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore you plant delightful plants and set them with vine slips of a strange God. So again, he's talking to Israel. Uh, we, we think of Israel as like desert, right? When you picture that part of the world, right, it's like sand dunes and missiles, right? Or at least that's what I picture. Um, but since their restoration as a nation, uh, they have terraformed the land. They have totally changed the, the landscape of that country. They've nearly mastered uh, desalinization, t- turning seawater into fresh water. They're the leaders in the world at that science. Uh, they've planted over 300 million trees. They planted farms and vineyards. They're one of the greatest agricultural um, wonders of that part of the world. Right? They, uh, they've transformed the country. So they've got vineyards, they've got farms, they've got forests, they've got more fresh water than anybody around them. They've got big plans for more. But, verse 11, in that day, in that day that you plant, uh, in that day that you plant it, you carefully fence it in. And in the morning you bring your seed to blossom, but the harvest will be a heap. In a day of sick, uh, sickliness and incurable pain. What an uplifting message. See, when we forget about God, we stray from God. And when, we're, when we stray from God, things gradually start falling apart. And it seems like nothing satisfies. And negativity creeps in. And negativity uh, gives birth to like self-fulfilling prophecies, right? If you tell yourself all the time, work is just going to suck today, guess what? It's probably not going to be a good day, right? Uh, let me just remind you, this is a little off topic, I guess, but I needed to hear this one uh, this week. Lamentations chapter 3 Verse 21 says that this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving uh, kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you've been straying, you've been forgetting, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. You know, we need to do a better job uh, of encouraging one another, especially with the word, with those verses that you've, well, I feel silly quoting this to Ben because he already knows this verse. Yeah, but Ben maybe didn't read that verse today and Ben needs to hear that verse today. I pick on Ben every time he's here. But you also need need to be able to encourage yourself. Be able to preach to yourself. David did this a lot uh, 
most of the psalms, that's what they are. We, we like to say they were songs or prayers. A lot of times, it was a really sad, scared guy in a cave talking to himself, and, and he wrote it down. That's, that's what it is. Uh, and Psalm 42, this is one of those instances where David was out in the wilderness. He's on the run. People are after him. It's a rough time in his life, and he preaches to himself. He says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Right? He's, this is my situation. This is what I'm going through. But verse 4, these things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in uh, procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. He says, I remember when things were better. Verse 5, why are you in despair, O what? He's a crazy person. He's talking to himself. No, he's preaching to himself. He's... Reminding himself, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me, therefore I remember you. He's fully aware, I am in a tough spot, and I am down, I am depressed, or whatever, you know. But I'm going to remind myself that I, re I remember what it was like when I could freely gather with everyone else in worship. I remember what it was like when I didn't feel like this. Sometimes we, we need to recreate the, the circumstances uh, from when we were on track, right? Sometimes we need to recreate the circumstances from when we were on track so we can get back on track. In Revelation 2, uh, Jesus is speaking about the, the churches. and uh, Revelation 2, verse 2, he says, uh, he's speaking of this one particular church. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And he, so he says, I know that you do the work. And you don't put up with false doctrine. Verse 3, and you have perseverance. And you've endured for my name's sake. And have not grown weary. You've gone, gone through some hard times. Verse 4, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. And repent, that means change your mind, change, turn around. Change your mind and direction. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Sometimes you have to go, I need to change direction. Right? It doesn't mean everything in my life has gone sideways, but something has. So Isaiah, he's describing a time uh, when Israel is, 
is lush, full of gardens and vineyards. And then something happens, remember at the beginning of the chapter, something happened to destroy Damascus. Then Ezekiel, he says that this coalition, it's Ezekiel 38 and 39, this coalition of nations is going to attack Israel from the north through Syria. Um, And this, you know, it contains, this coalition contains uh, Iran, uh, Turkey, Russia, and a bunch of the stands like Uzbekistan and, all, you know, all those stands. It's an overwhelming force, especially attacking a country that's smaller than Indiana. Right? There's no way they can withstand. Like, we're, we're quaking in our boots right now over the possibility of a war with Russia, and we're a lot bigger than, than Indiana, or Israel. Uh, Isaiah 17, verse 12, right? So that's, that's the situation. So the, this invading force, it's overwhelming. Uh, Isaiah 17, verse 12. Alas, the uproar of many peoples who roar like the roaring of the seas and the rumbling of nations who rush on like the rumbling of mighty waters. So in other words, it's like a tidal wave of people coming toward them. Uh, the nations rumble on like the rumbling of many waters. But he will rebuke them. Who's he? Right. But he will rebuke them, and they will flee far away and be chased like chaff in the mountains before the wind or like whirling dust before a gale, like dust in the wind. Verse 14, At evening time, behold, there is terror, and before morning they are no more. So this massive, overwhelming force in a matter of a few hours or moments is dealt with. Now who could he possibly be that deals with an army like that? Right, this is, this is uh, describing a time when, when Jesus is going to step in and uh, show up in a big way. You know, I chuckle every time I see, uh, see news of some new peace treaty being signed in the Middle East, because uh, there there will be no peace there. Uh, as a matter of fact, the only the person who brings about some semblance of peace for a little while uh, is the is the Antichrist, right? So that's if we have peace for a few years, uh, I guess we got to start rethinking our end times theology a little bit. But I'm reminded, you know, when I see this stuff that. This is, I mean, it's just going to be a hot mess in Israel at that moment. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul talks about the same, the same little window of time. Verse 3 says, While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, right? You will not be fooled because, you know, if you believe in uh, pre-tribulation rapture like we do, uh, we won't be here for most of this stuff. But, But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. 
We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. So I, I had thought we would get into chapter 18. We're not going to get into chapter 18 tonight, but I'm just going to ask you this. Have you forgotten the God of your salvation? I'm not saying entirely. You came to church on a Wednesday night like some kind of weirdo, you know. You, I know he, something about him uh, matters to you, but have you forgotten him in some way? Is there something in, in my life that, that's making me forget? Keeping me from following God as closely as I could? Uh, a trial that maybe God wants to use to separate me from what has been separating me from him? Psalm 139, we'll, we'll close with another one of David's psalms. I'm going to remind you of something that he reminded himself with. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. That's a, that's a tough prayer to pray, honestly. God, show me where I'm wrong. I know something's wrong. Show me what it is. And then lead me the other way. Help me repent. Help me change direction, change my mind. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you are so that your mercies are new every morning, as we've read about, as we were reminded tonight. And God, we just pray that um, we just pray that you would, as David pr uh, prayed, that you would show us the things that where we have been forgetting you, where we have gotten off track, whatever it is, it, even if it's a small thing. We're not praying this so that we feel guilty or feel better about ourselves, but so that we can be closer to you. Lord, what trials and tribulations we face, uh, let, them, let them yield uh, the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Help us to be changed by them and, and come out the other side um, more like you. Lord, we pray for... Uh, we pray for Israel, we pray for those people that, uh, that have a heritage, have a history with you, but have forgotten who you are. Uh, and we pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that, uh, that they would see that you are the maker, you are the savior. Uh, Lord, and above all else, we just pray that you continue to watch over us, keep us safe, and that you come and come quickly. And we pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right. Ready? Break. Break. All right.